Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. I'd like to introduce our newest sponsor, Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. Looking to host your first swim meet or replacing an old timing system? Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop using superior swim timing. You can use superior swim timing with your existing equipment, or they can provide you with a complete timing solution, including deck harnesses, buttons, and starter. SST is fully compatible with HiTech and Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. Go to superiorswimtiming.com to learn more and be sure to tell them I sent you. One of the best ways to build power in the pool is by using a tower. I got introduced to Chuck Destro. Because of the way Chuck designed them, they can break down and ship in a much smaller box so they can ship anywhere in the world for a reasonable price. Use code BRETT at checkout and save $150 on a double swim tower. That means if you order two, you can save $300. Order four, save $600. Go to destromachines.com to get your team stronger in the water today. I'm giving away not one, but two Swim Nerd Pace Clocks on the first night of US Olympic trials. Find the link in the show notes to enter. All right, Pierre Lafontaine, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Good to see you. I haven't seen uh, I've seen a lot of pictures of you, but I haven't seen you in person like that, so it's cool. Yeah, man, it's good to see you again. It's been a while. So it looks like you're in uh, some sort of cabin. Where are you? Well, I live in Ottawa. I'm based in Ottawa, which is about uh, four hours out north of Toronto, the national capital, about, uh, what, you know, one of the national capital of G7. So you kind of go, it's got to be a pretty... Uh, substantial capital, but there's about a million people. And um, you're dealing with uh, Quebec across the river, Ontario and Quebec. And so I've got this cottage at about um, literally 15 minutes from uh, downtown Ottawa, 40 minutes on a bike. I'm on the river. I went swimming uh, yesterday. You know, the water is a bit cold, but it's swimmable. And, you know, like I said, you're you're living in the national capital. So it's pretty cool. It sounds cool, man. And and I actually drove through there a few years ago. It was beautiful. I went I went up there with my um with my family as a as kind of a summer vacation and we, we drove through there and it was it was so gorgeous. I mean the whole of that area in, in Canada, such a beautiful place to live. And I think uh you guys are lucky because it's it's almost like it's a, a hidden secret. I mean, there there's certainly people that go there, no, no doubt, but um it's not talked about as it's beautiful country, that's for sure. Well, you know, if anybody ever wants to come and see Canada at any time, this city is a cool city. It's a bit, 
it's underplayed around the country because it's a natural capital and so on and it's boring and but um october when the leaves change here mm -hmm. it's magical i mean you know 50 percent of the trees in the, in the forest are maple so the this orange and red maple leaves come out and it's just incredible and the other thing i i i thought about not long ago and i mentioned that to somebody oh just oh maybe over the weekend i thought last winter i thought and it's you know it, it's it's the coldest natural capital in the world colder than russia than, than uh, moscow but uh, one day i did I went skating on the Rideau Canal, which is the longest natural skating platform in, in the world, eight kilometers one way, groomed, clean every day. I was um, skating on the canal, cross-country skiing in the Gatineau Park for 25, 30K, and then went, went on a run around the canal and around the city. And I remember going, wow, like, I should write a blog on why I love this region so much. It's mm -hmm. brilliant. The music scene is incredible. Yeah. The jazz fest is one of the best in the world. The blues fest. Is, and it goes back to back to back all summer long. We haven't had it for the last 18 months, but it's um, it's a cool place. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I never thought when I took Swimming Canada's job after Australia in 2005, I vividly remember during the interview, and the interview was with Dan Thompson. I don't know if you remember the butterfly or he was the president of Swimming Canada. Mm-hmm. And I said to Dan, I said, you know, if I take the job, like, you got to let me move this this organization to either Montreal, Toronto, or Vancouver. Like, I can't. Ottawa is just crazy. <laughs> and after a year, the board said, so what are you doing? And I go, I can't move from here. Like, this is magical. Yeah. You know, you're four hours from Toronto, two hours from Montreal. Airport goes right to uh, just Frankfurt direct. We're not moving it. So. Yeah, it's it's a hidden gem, that's for sure, and uh, more people need to go visit. But listen, the way we know each other is is back. You know, when I swam for Australia, you're you're a coach on the Australian mm -hmm. team, so that's kind of our little bit of a history. And yeah, uh, yeah. and I believe you were coaching my roommate at the Olympics, Justin Norris, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. What you know? What I often say, um, he was or he is the type of character that I always envision not just great swimmers or great people because he was, he was a great swimmer. Mm -hmm. He was a musician. He had his own band. He had, he was different, but not, not, um, I don't want to say different in a bad way. He just didn't fit the mold. Mm -hmm. And can I tell you what, what happened when he got married? Yeah. Tell me. So I'll tell you this. And you know what? He's, he, I love the man. And um, so I'm, I'm at workout in the morning and he says, or maybe it was the night before. And he says, uh, probably the night before he says, can I, uh, can I come in and train a bit earlier this afternoon? And I go, yeah. So I, I can't remember. We probably swam from two to four instead of four to six or something. And he says, okay, well, I agree. You know, good night. I didn't, I, I don't need to know all the details of it. And then the next day he comes into the workout and he's got his wedding ring on. <laughs> and I go, Oh, what's that? He said, oh, yeah, I got married last night. And I'm thinking, like, <laughs> it, incredible, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I love the man. And uh, there's a yeah, lot of people that, that, that thing, I talk man. about. But, but he's one that I often talk to people around, you know, who are my five favorite people, um, uh, swimmers that I've had a chance to, uh, to work with. And he's certainly one of them. The other one would be uh, Reagan Harrison. 
Oh yeah, Reggie. I, I, you know what? Really good people. I'm. Yeah. I mean, I. Yeah. Great, great people. Nori was my roommate at the 2000 Olympics and 2004 Olympics. We we got on like a house on fire. He is now uh, this YouTube star. His his kids are like they're called the Norris Nuts. If anybody wants to look them up, look up the Norris Nuts on YouTube. They've got something like you know five million followers now, and uh, it's crazy. I'll have to do that. Have you seen that and what he's doing? No, 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 no. I'm gonna have um, to do that. Listen, get on YouTube and look up the Norris Nuts, man. He's got like. Uh, I think I think he's up to six or seven kids now. <laughs> he's got a lot of kids. But, um, I'm trying to get him on this podcast, and, and hopefully we can one day because we've got so many great stories to share like that. But yeah, he he's a good man, and and you were. Well, you know what? I am. I, um, I was back in Canada running swimming Canada, and you know, there's not a lot of people that's ever done that. But he wrote me a beautiful email, and um, you know what? I I I don't feel sorry that I didn't answer. I just was so touched by it that it took me a while to just kind of mm. um, grasp it and 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 just wanted to one day take the time to write him back and from the bottom of my heart and just tell him what I really think too. But, you know, it was, um, you, know, you don't need to know what, what he wrote, but it was really a touching uh, email, you know, so. It's very rare to get those and it takes a special person yes. to write yes. and yes. Um, and they make an impact in it for sure. I mean, he listens to this podcast, so he'll be, he'll be watching. So I know that he, he knows, he knows you've got it and, and it meant a lot to you. So that's a good thing. <laughs> um, so listen, I mean, you, you have an incredible history in swimming. You've been around it for many years at, at the top level. Let's just go back through your career. Just, just briefly. Where did it, uh, where did it start for you? How did you get involved in swimming? Yeah, so um, I grew up in, in the suburb of Montreal, a little town called Point Claire in the 70s. You know, I, in, the, in the 70s, I was in my, my teens, in the early 70s, and I was a swimming teacher. I swam, actually, funny enough, summer club and never really swam uh, year-round um, deeply into uh, the sport. But um, in the 72s, I was, uh, I was asked, after working at a summer pool, I was asked to to go and work at the Point Lair Swim Club, they ran a program for disabled, one of the first in the country, called Percep. and it was um, it was really a special program. It was uh, for kids with learning disabilities, like blind disabilities, meaning, you know, I mean, you could see somebody in a wheelchair and so on, but a lot of kids that have got learning disabilities are put aside because of their weaknesses instead of their strength, and so. They lose confidence and so on. So, you know, from 72 to 76, I was teaching swimming lessons there. Like we had over 6,000 kids a week going through our swimming lesson program. Wow. And I was running this um, this uh, with, um, you know, three other people. And I'll tell you who are the three other people are now. But um, um, basically from 72 to 76, I did that. One of them is a guy called Dave William, who's a Canadian astronaut. And the other guy is guy Scott Haldane, who was um, just retired from being the Governor General's uh, Foundation CEO and the CEO of the YMCA Canada. Mm. And the third person is a lady called Karen O'Neill, who's actually now the president of the Canadian Paralympic Committee. So, like, great people, all four of us helped that lady start this program. And and so in '76, they needed an eight and under coach. And I know you probably remember Dave and Tom Johnson. Yeah. And I'm at a, a summer party with Tom, and Tom says, would you be interested in coaching eight and unders? And I started university, and I go, well, that'd be fun. I always visioned as more of a, um, 
um, an exciting, glorified, more time type of swimming lessons, all about technique and get kids excited. Mm -hmm. So um, I did that through the, uh, the 70s. I got approached by a club in Montreal to be their head coach. And I remember the, the, the director of the of the Point Claire pool was a guy called George Gate, who's actually inducted in the Hall of Fame in, in Fort Lauderdale. He said, hey, these people want a head coach and you'll be great. And I go like, I've never been a head coach. And it says, you know what? Anything you need, we're going to be there for you. you know, have a go. Just, just trust yourself, you know, let your heart speak. And so I was there for a few years until uh, 84 when the, the Calgary University of Calgary Swimming Club uh, run by Derek Snelling was looking for an assistant coach, an assistant senior coach. And uh, I remember taking that club in Montreal from, I don't know, 100th to 9th at Nationals and thinking, man, I, I'm approached by these guys. They're the best in the nation, national champion. Sorry, I'm, I'm hitting mosquitoes here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I took the opportunity. My English was not really good. And I'm uh, moving to English Canada. Even I remember my mother going, what? You're moving to English Canada? My mother could barely speak English. And uh, it was a great experience. Calgary was brilliant. Uh, we won three or four national championships in a row. And uh, Derek was uh, an incredible mentor and uh, actually uh, my best man when I got married. So um, he kind of, you know, I went from being a head coach in Montreal to now being the assistant coach. And I always wanted to try to outthink him. My job in my mind was to outsmart him. Mm. And it was hard because, you know, he's a, he was a, a guru in the sport, and especially he was an incredible IM coach then uh, and for a long time and a great club builder. So every morning I wanted to be the first one at the pool and, and uh, you know, be more prepared at the board meeting than he ever was and so on and so forth. And the, in four years, the one morning that I – didn't, didn't wake up on time and showed up to the pool late. He was late also, but I beat him. <laughs> so, so uh, and Derek lives in, in Vancouver now he, in Comox or really close to Nanaimo in Vancouver Island. It's a beautiful place. And then um, I got a phone call from Dennis Persley in 88. And uh, basically Dennis says, uh, listen, I'm in, I'm in um, Phoenix and um and a fellow called Gary Hall and uh, Mr. Keating, which is Gary Hall's father-in-law, we want to build the best swim club in the world. Would you like to join our coaching staff? And I said, who's there? Well, there's me, John T. Skinner just signed up, and uh, you'd be the third one um, senior coach. And again, you know, I just got married. I just keep kept remembering life is a sum of experience. So let's go. <laughs> and so we moved to Phoenix, and I had my kids in Phoenix also, and uh, – build this Phoenix swim club to, uh, to 2000 and Olympics where we had, we had foreigners also, but we had about 12 kids on the Olympic team and we came home with eight medals in 2000. Um, and, um, you know, they were not only were the medals uh, pretty special, but we had, uh, Mike, Mike bottom was helping me or I was helping him. I'm not sure which one of the two I was coaching, uh, more of the distance kids. He was coaching the sprinters. But um, we had a, a magical place. The Phoenix Swim Club's always been even, you know, I would move back to Phoenix and move and, and move with this environment that we created, um, you know, yesterday. It was really a special place. And then that I'm, I, I keep remembering, I'm at the Olympics in 2000, and uh, Don Talbot goes, um, you know, like, would you ever consider uh, 
coming to Australia and I go, life is a sum of experience, you know? <laughs> and not, not long after that, I got approached by Mike, um, by Michael Scott at the AIS. And I said, would you like to be assistant coach over here? And again, my kids were in, in their six, eight, 10, 12. So I said, let's go. And uh, we made it there. It was a fun um, four years. Oh my goodness. Uh, I remember Bruce Mason and moving, I move, I start on the pool deck and Bruce Mason shows up and then uh, David Pine and mm. Louise Burke and they when, within the first week and they go, Oh, we're so excited you're here. What can we do to help you? And I'm going like, that's the wrong story. I've never heard that. <laughs> Normally these people come in to me and say, Hey, I've got the answer for you. Let me tell you what you could do. Oh, what, that was, uh, you know, Mark Reagan was, uh, was the head coach and, and Barry Prime was there. And oh my goodness, it was, uh, you know, and as a non-Australian, Canberra was fine to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you, you were okay with the cold. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> so I was there for a while. And then um, in 2005, uh, Dan Thompson, who was an 80, 1980 Olympian for Canada, world record holder, short course hunter fly with Tom Ponting, um, called me up. I was in, in Malulaba with the national team. And I had my three kids, four kids then on, on the beach. They were surfing. I was uh, up at the condo with my wife and Dan calls me and he says, Pierre, we haven't won a medal at the Olympics for a while. We need you back here. And, and February 14th on, on Valentine's Day. And I said, what's the weather? And he goes, well, it's minus 28 in Toronto. And I call like, so why would I ever want to go back? <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you're, I, I loved working with the Australian coaches. It was, uh, I love the intensity and the, the technical expertise and the work. The, you know, yes, they were mainly co greatly competitors, but they were also, um, yeah, I remember, you know, Dennis Cottrell or some of these guys and you go, oh, you know, I really like what you, what the swimmer's doing, but have you thought of maybe trying to do this? And like that work, that type of relationship I'd never seen around the world before. So that was, um, that okay, I was collaboration. Yeah. So yes, we're going to fight against each other, but mm. we're fighting for the world too, against the world, you know? So let's, right. let's help each other out. Right. And I, and I hope that when I was at the AIS, I helped um, bring the AIS away from being our little cocoon to being a bit more of a solution to Australia. Um, and, uh, you know, the Linda McKenzie and Justin Norris and I mean, you know, Patria Thomas, like great people. And uh, but the scientists, I wanted to make sure that they were part of informing the country. They wasn't just doing research for the IS swimmers. I mean, we were just an, an, an arm appendage to making Australian swimming magical. And, uh, you know, we had a pretty good Olympics in, in 2004. So, yeah. Yeah, and that then was, I came back here. My favorite Olympics for sure. Loved it. Yeah, yeah, fun. And, and then, then you know, like I put, I, I then I became the CEO of Swimming Canada here, um, and um, you know, till 2014, did a few other things, and uh, and now I'm uh, back coaching a, a little club in town, and coaching a university, being a grandpa to four, five kids now, to you know, probably six soon. So it's uh, it's a good um, good place. Yeah, like I said, uh, incredible history of swimming there in terms of where you've been, who you've worked with, um, you know, people you've influenced, programs you've influenced, countries you've influenced. In terms of the the CEO of of Canadian swimming, what does that mean exactly? What will you what do you do as the CEO? 
So I had a double, double role. So even when I, I remember taking the role with Dan and I and saying to Dan, like, I don't want to work, I don't want to work for a CEO if I'm the national coach. Um, I'd rather have it all and make the decisions that are performance-driven decisions, that are uh, budget lines item that are about performance, not about you know getting a bigger office or getting uh, getting uh, more people running in the office or mm-hmm. or um, you know so i know it was not necessarily always easy for my staff we didn't have a big staff but we basically double our membership it was one of the early goal double our membership break 70% of the national record um you know increase our medal count at the olympics um uh, put more international officials on online and uh, like as a double our budget so uh, to me the role of the ceo i felt was to do two things to service the board and and help create a, a magical bold vision but attainable and then go underneath and then uh, remove roadblocks from clubs and coaches to me that's the job facilitate everybody else's performance facilitate right. clubs growth facilitate coaches to be to do what they do their magic because really i could have the best office and the best this but if the coaches are not excited about getting up every morning to to see to, to try to break the world to beat the world you know we don't really have a good nation so um, to me i always felt you know i had to help the board i'm certainly not the best paper pusher in the world but um i had great boards um you know they 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 work with my weaknesses and and uh, I did a lot of work with the coaches and the clubs and basically you know like I said in 10 years we doubled our membership so it was um it was a fun thing you know but to your question we do marketing and mm-hmm. we had to start social media you got to deal with governance and policies and now inclusion and uh, you know so so it's being ahead of of what's going to happen all the time and be transparent I'd be fair, you know. I had to deal with uh, with banning a coach for ten years for uh, for poor, poor uh, not just poor behavior, but improper behavior. And uh, you know, you start thinking you got to do you got to do right. So to 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 finish this question, I'm in the plane flying back from Australia, and um, and I said, "Wow, like I'm now the new head, the new CEO of Swimming Canada." And I've only really been a, a swimming coach all my life. What do I stand for? Like, what are my values? Before I could pass on my values, I need to be able to understand what I, uh, my feet are grounded on if the hurricane goes, goes through, you know, and if there's a, cause it's never rosy at, at that role. So I actually, in the plane, I, I did two things. I wrote the 10 commandments for Pierre. Mm. What did I believe? that was crucial in running um, uh, um, an environment, a, a company, an organization where you want to create a safe environment for kids, um, enjoyable environment for coaches, but also, you know, increased learning where officials could become among the best in the world. Well, we're part of the solution for drowning and so on. So I wrote these 10 commandments, ended up being about 12, but I also wrote, I'm coming to Canada again. And I remember some, some of the coaches in Canada, in Australia said, why are you going back to Canada? Like, they're not very good. And I said, you know what? I'm going to build the country on the great things that Canada has to offer. 
And I sat down and I wrote 100 great things about Canadian sports system and Canadian culture that I'm going to build myself, my, my program on. You know, and one, for example, Bell Canada was invented in Canada. You know, the telephone was invented in Canada. So we, we partner with Bell Canada. We partner with Air Canada, which is often one of the best airlines in the world. And so I wanted to build my organization around Canadian icon, Le Cirque du Soleil. You guys know that circus, you know, and the best circus mm -hmm. in the world. And so, um, so that's kind of how, how I started this. And, and uh, I was, you know what, I, I was really excited about where Swimming Canada went and I'm really excited where, where they are now. I, when I left it, I left it to two or three really, really good people. And I'm proud of what they did in 2016 and, and where we're going to be in 2021. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, it looks like the success that they've been having recently was built on certainly a foundation that you had built um, over those years that you were your CEO. I mean, the incredible success of, of Canadian swimming, unlike anything that's seen in their history. And and it looks like that, that success is going to continue with, I mean, they've got mm -hmm. a great, especially a great women's team right now. The women are on fire. It's, it's incredible how good they are. Yeah, I, I, I remember um, I do a bit of work with with visions and missions for organizations and countries, but uh, I often say to people, you know, you go to the Olympic Games, you know, Aruba, I just finished some work with Aruba and Granada. You know, when the, when your media comes in with the microphone and says, wow, like you guys had kids at finals at the Olympics or somebody got a medal, what did you do? You should be able to say, you know what, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. we made a decisions. Uh, we made we did these five things that changed where we went, and here we are. We're we're winning this. So uh, to me, that's where it all became. We we hired a guy called uh, Ken McKinnon as our father. Derek Snelling was our national junior coach uh, early on when I got there, and then we hired Ken McKinnon, and Ken did an incredible job rallying our 17 and unders, working with the coaches and. Uh, what you've seen today is those moves at investing uh, in the development of our youth program. And I have to thank the board for going, you know, like we're putting the cart in front of the horses here. We, we, we hadn't planned that budget. We're going to go put that $500,000 in the budget and we're, we're going to start running forward. There's no point for us to put a program without the supporting dollars, you know. So um, sorry about the noise we're building in the, in, a, in, the, uh, in a cottage here. But the other story... On that point, Brett, that I uh, want to tell you is um, I read this great book called Born to Win. Mm -hmm. And it's from John Bertrand. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it's a story about him winning the America's Cup in 1983. I'm a sailor too. but um, And the points that were vivid about his book, and if anybody wants to go, you could find used copies on Amazon. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I would love for him to sign my copy. But one of the things you, you said in it was he got approached, and you know, the, I can't remember in the seventies, late seventies, to, to to head one of the America's Cup, and he didn't take it because, you know, he didn't feel like they were going to invest to win. And in mm -hmm. the, in this latest group, when they did win, um, the guy says, "Yeah, do whatever you need to win." And and so the point to me that was. Um, really important in that discussion with in, in reading this book was that they made a decision that they were going to win. That's how the vision started. 
Right. Once they started with that, his point was it was really easy to make decisions. Is that going to help us win? If it's yes, we're going to do it. If it does, it's not, we're not doing it. So the clarity of vision and um, an execution around a vision and a mission is crucial to the outcome. And, um, and so to me, uh, that was a bit of what we did when I first got here with Swimming Canada. We created this, this uh, pretty bold vision for, for a, a country that hadn't had a lot of good performance. Um, you know, for four years or before, but, um, you know, and, 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 and once it was done, my job as a CEO was to make sure that we keep pinpointing these, um, these goals, you know, break every record, double our budget, double our membership, you know, be the best organization for our members and so on. So it was one of those where we had a one sheeter and it was in front of everybody saying, that's what we're aiming at every, every day. That's what we get up for. I like that. And I get, I get asked that all the time. Like, how do you get somebody to swim fast? Let's say. And what I always say to them is like, start with the end in mind. What's the end result? What are you trying to achieve? And for me, it may be a particular result, or it might be a certain time, a performance, whatever it is, but have a clear vision of what you want at the end of all of this. Right. And then what I do is I just work backwards from there. Okay. Here's what I want. Now, how do I get it? And like what you said there, you know, winning, winning is, is everything in, in, in what we do, you know, uh, as a nation, as, as individuals, as a coaches, I mean, the out, the out, the, the end result is we want to win. So what I try and do with my athletes is like, okay, how do we, how do we get that? And, and I work a lot with, you know, Olympic athletes these days. I, I, I do, I do swim clinics. So I teach the young, you know, how to, the foundations, but I'm also working with uh, top levels. So, yeah, I always just start with the end in mind and work backwards from there. And it's like a yeah, I, I totally agree. But <clears throat> I would say that we have to be careful what winning means. Mm-hmm. My first, my first concept there is, if it's about winning gold medals, you, you got to not just kind of, I'd like to. You got to taste what it's going to feel like to win that medal. You got to feel the audience you know, crazy about you. You got to, you got to emotionally create a, a platform that, that carries you on your hard days, you know, on your, on your hard weeks and on your hard months, you got to taste it. And, and then you also selfishly got to create an environment around you that gets going to be bloody supportive to you. You know, so on your bad day, your teammates are going to go, let's go, buddy. Let's let's hang in there. Let's finish that set, you know, mm. because tomorrow you're going to be the one doing it to somebody else. So to me, the environment, creating an environment for great performance is the day-to-day um, tool to not just putting one swimmer on the national team or on the podium, but putting a nation on, on, uh, on the front of – of changing the world. But I also believe that winning is allowing people to be the best that they could be, creating a club environment where even the least gifted swimmer feels really special on that team, mm. that there's a place for him, that there's that he's he's loved because he's just a great kid, not just because he's a he's a good swimmer or a bad swimmer. Because you know what, at the end, who knows? Maybe our gold medal Olympians are not going to be the best one at giving back, 
Maybe it's the kid that was swimming till 15. He wasn't good, but he had the best time in the sport. He becomes president of, of Tesla or, or uh, you know, telecommunication or a mining company in, in, in Australia. And he goes, you know what? It was magical for me. I swam at university, had a great experience. I'm going to give, you know, a million dollars back to the sport. I'm going to get my kids in the sport or I'm going to go and become club president, help start a club there. So winning is is about a medal, but you know, as as an organization, it is also about creating magic at every level, so that an official feels that they want to help run a meet. You know, that the coaches feel that there's a spot for them on the national team if they work hard enough and they could get selected. You know, so uh, to me, that's what winning is for me. But you also have to make sure that you have the platform for the ones that are going to win the, the Olympics or the world championship for you too. Like you can't compromise. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly <coughs> a little bit of both for sure. I mean, uh, at the company that I work for now, fitter and faster, some of our best clinicians are the ones just that, that swam in college, you know, they're, they're never going to be Olympians, but it used to be about, Hey, let's bring an Olympian to, in to do a clinic. And, and those they're important. We still have Olympic yeah. gold medalists to come yeah. and do yeah. our clinics for us. But I tell you what, some of the best clinicians we have are, are kids that just had an experience in college and just want to give back to the sport. They're so passionate about the sport. They love it. They're great teachers. They connect with kids. I mean, it's fantastic to see what they do. But but certainly, um, at, at, as CEO of Swimming Canada, um, you need those Olympic champions as well. <laughs> they balance out the... Well, they, they do. They, you know, they... they they go and rub shoulders with the prime minister and uh, the university presidents and so on. They help um, engage um, the group. One thing that I that I was trying to do when I was um, um, when I was at Swimming Canada was, you know, I've got a little quote in my mind that says, "It's not who wins, but who. It's not when you win, but who wins with you." Mm. And we we had um, we had created a T-shirts that we wanted the swimmers to go give to their grade school after the Olympics. And to the high school to go say thanks. You're part of my village. You're part of the, you know, the prince, the school principal let me go away every Friday to swim meets, and they didn't cut me at the knees because I wasn't always there. So, to me, you know, how many people could win with you and with your organization? You know, can is the mayor of your town at Christmas time? Do you bring a bottle of wine? And say, listen, thank you so much for for allowing us to use your facilities and um, at a at a reduced rate and. Uh, because the mayor too is going to be happy to bring the Olympian back to, to, uh, to city council chamber to take a picture with him, you know. So or with her. So, to me, th these are the job of a of a coach is to create an incredible club, an incredible experience from top to bottom, to be as a head coach, to be an incredible mentor to the assistant coaches, so they they could grow to, uh, and now, you know, more and more, we need more women coaches at the high level. So, you know, take them, take young coaches under their wings and, and help them out. And so, um, so that's, you know, the, the job of a coach is like the chef d'orchestre, you know, he's the one, you know, dealing with the science and we're dealing with the young coaches and up and coming kids and, and, uh, and too, too much of excitement from certain parents because you got to manage that too. So, you know, it's, I, I, I don't regret one day in my life about being on the pool deck, whether with coaches or, um, or, uh, or parents or anything. I think we have the most magical job in the world coaching. We, our job is to create smiles 
uh, excitement and opportunities. Let me ask you this. You, when I knew you certainly leaned on the side of middle distance, you know, kind of distance, mm -hmm. however you want to, you know, you, you certainly weren't the sprint coach or you weren't known as the sprint coach. Um, you stepped away from coaching for, you know, 15 years. Was there anything that you've changed in terms of philosophy and, and how you go about things, you know, from what you did to, you know, watching and observing certain coaches in the position you were at, as CEO of Canada and mm -hmm. then coming back as a coach now? Is there, is there something that's changed for you? That's a good question. Um, I think I learned incredible amount in that role of CEO and working, even as a national coach, working with these coaches and having these discussions and so on and so forth. And, you know, I, I, I still do love the 200s and up. Um, you know, maybe it's just because I, I like to work and I like to, but um, I love the power of the sprinters. I love the power of, uh, of uh, keeping the flame afloat for the sprinters, for example, if that's what the word is. Um, because that's what lights them up. You know, I mean, you don't teach an eagle to run. You teach an eagle how to teach how to fly faster. Mm -hmm. You know, you might have the fastest eagle runner, but he's a terrible flyer. <laughs> so, so to me, you gotta, you gotta, you know, one of the, one of the things I found and the magic I found in Australia was, um, how to, how to create a better annual plan around recovery and not around work. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I carried this through my Canadian work here and, and that's really what I'm now coaching a young little club at a university, you know, much more planning recovery around the work, uh, you know, creating the recovery blocks, like you said, four years away, three years away, two years away, and then putting the work into it. Um, you know, the, the other one in terms of um, relationship, might be that I think our, our, our athletes today are, are uh, not, not necessarily smarter than where we were. I think they're way, way more informed. Uh, I, I do like the fact that we have discussions on how to uh, more. Um, they, they question more. And I remember Eddie Reese says, you know, Eddie Reese, who just retired, bless his, bless his incredible career. He said, I'm still coaching the same way. I'm, you know, people are saying, wow, the kids have changed. He goes, no, I'm just expecting more now. You know, like the world record is faster. So we're trying to training for a faster world record. And I do think that's what we're having today is standards are faster. People are going faster because they need to. And uh, so you could start demanding uh, environment. The other thing, though, I also don't, don't swim, um, you know, like 2400s and so on like this. I because I don't want to create boredom. If anything, right. my coaching has, has taught me is to create um, um, winning piece of training every day. And can I give you an example of this? Yeah, sure. So when I moved to Australia, my kids um, swam for a couple of months and then they decided, because we went from Phoenix to indoor swimming in Canberra, you know? And they went like, we don't like swimming indoor. So they got into indoor rock climbing. And, uh, and one of my daughter was, became a gymnast, but the other three went in indoor rock climbing. And um, I remember walking there, and I remember even taking our, our AIS team there, 
But I go there Friday night and watch them train. They were they were training every day. And the one thing that was exciting when I was watching them, and then when they were in my car, when I picked them up or whatever, you know, they would climb up to a certain level and then they'd fall. Mm. And their teammates say, come on, like one of my sons, Pierre Philippe, come on, Pierre Philippe, you could go a little higher. And then he'd fall. And then he'd take a break for 20 minutes. And then his teammates would go like, all right, let's try to see if we can. And then he'd climb up higher and higher and higher. And he'd come home at night and he'd go like, wow, like I did half the roof today. And I've never done that. Yesterday I fell halfway. Th and it was one of those like, to me, a ha-ha moment that I needed to create, you know, in workout, um, winning platforms, whether it's a, your, your fastest 50 kick, your best stroke count, your best descending set, your best average, uh, create those platforms of daily winning so that you could go and say, well, that was great. Okay, now I'm going to go to the next step, you know. <clears throat> you can't have that every workout, but I was really trying to, to and and even, you know, through the IS work and then uh, further, I was really trying to, you know, to your question, I think that was probably the big changes that I added to my program. And, you know, I have to thank a lot of the Canadian coaches, Dave and Tom Johnson and and uh, even Randy Bennett, uh, bless his soul. And, you know, the, 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 the constructive, Jan Bitterman, the constructive discussion that we had to, to try to make Swimming Canada's national team magical uh, was a great team effort. And um, and I think even through those discussions, um, I learned a lot. So, yeah, it's good. Well, listen, there's few people who have had the experiences you've had, who've had the career you've had at a high performance level. So my question to you, my challenge to you is like, what are you doing to document this, Pierre? Like, what, how are you – how are you – taking this knowledge, this information that you've gathered over so many years and then passing it down. Um, mm -hmm. Because, I mean, you, the stuff you have must is, is so valuable. The experiences you've had and um, mm -hmm. the things you've learned are certainly valuable uh, to, to swimming in general. You know, I hear you and I thank you for that. I mean, I've been blessed. I've been blessed by great mentors. I've been blessed by... Mm -hmm incredible swimmers you know i felt that half of my job was to get away get out of their way of their greatness you know i feel to a certain point that my role was to to help empower the gift that these people have and not for me to power them through and um you know yeah yeah i'm, I'm sure i wasn't uh, always the, the 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 softer guy in the pool deck but i always felt that my role was to empower I saw um, uh, um, I saw a quote on somebody's shirt at the airport in Hong Kong ten years ago or something, and uh, and I remember saying um, that the the power of love will always be the love of power. Mm. That was on a T-shirt, you know. And I, to me, I saw it. You know, the power of people will never be as good as empowering people. Uh, Mother Teresa has got a great um, line similar to that. So, so to me. Um, I, I'm not avoiding the question about writing my notes, but, uh, you know, I've got a couple of daughters that keep saying to me, dad, like, we'll help you. You know, like my, my 10 commandments are actually 12 and my hundred things about Canada. And so you've got so many cool things. I've got about 10, bo 10 boxes at home of things. Mm. She says, you should write a book. And I'm always going like, ah, oh, like I, 
I'm not sure what I have to say is really relevant. I, I feel, you know, I, I feel humble that I was able to do what I'm doing, what I did. Um, you know, and often I go, you know, that's what I did. Uh, you know, who would really care about what I did? You know, I, I did it. I, I got up every day of my life so far trying to make a difference. And really, if, you know, the decisions I made every day was, okay, what can I do to make a difference? You know? Well, listen, I'm, I got you on this podcast because I care. I think that, I think what you've done is extraordinary. I mean, you've had well, an thanks. incredible career, man. You've been, you've been to the, the top of the top. You've, you've, you've been around the best coaches in the world. You've had influences on some of the best athletes in the world. Certainly, I would like to read what you have to say. So I would, I would recommend putting it together. I'm, I'm on your daughter's side here. There putting we go. Together. <laughs> Let's get a book going. If, uh, if you were to put a book together, what do you think you'd call it? Creating an environment for magical performance, something like nice. that. Nice. I think to me, that's the most important. Creating an environment where your kids could learn in a classroom. Creating an environment on the pool deck that's, that inspires kids. To me, the, the environment, even you know very well, even you as a world-class athlete, the environment was really important for you on your bad days. Mm -hmm. And on your good days, like you could have, you could walk on water, but in your bad days, without the environment, you wouldn't have performed like you did. So to me, I think that's the number one thing. Create an environment um, to allow incredible performance or to be the best that you could be. Is there anything as a head coach that you try and do other than getting there early and you know setting setting the tone? I mean, is there other other advice you can give to young coaches or young head coaches or assistant coaches, anything else you would advise them on? Your team are the lifeguards, the pool managers, the city mayors, the MPs or the elected officials, uh, the school teachers, um, you know, the parents to a certain point. Um, you know, you don't just coach the, the team of 100 swimmers or 500 swimmers on your team. You, you coach the people that touch your environment so that, you know, I often say the most important people are the front door lady and the maintenance guy, because he's got the keys if you don't have them, you know? So uh, to me, I, I even remember uh, Maria, when I was at the IS, Maria was the front desk uh, person. And she was also my police, <laughs> my police for the media that would come in at any time to want to get interviews. And, uh, and she goes, Nope, you guys can't come in. Um, you know, here's a story about a DIS. Our cleaning lady was her name was Pauline. I forget her last name now. And I tell often tell you know I add that to it. It's oh Pauline, she's got two beautiful teeth. <laughs> she you know she was she didn't, but I embellish a story. But um, she went to see. She would come in at five o'clock or five thirty for work. She went to see her supervisor and said. Can I go in earlier? I want it. I want the locker room, the AIS swimmers locker room to be really clean when they come in at five in the morning. And, um, and so when, when the maintenance staff want to be part of making the environment magical for your team, and I'm not even sure if the, the IS swimmers knew that, but um, when the maintenance, you know, you've got a team within the team uh, to, to help, to help the swimmers uh, perform, you know, yeah. I came back from the game in 2004 
And I had a huge poster on my computer. My computer <laughs> by then. But my computer, and it says, Thank congratulations for your team's performance. Thank you for making me feel part of your team. That was from Pauline. You know, and I got goosebumps telling you because I always felt that when people like that, when when this mayor wants to be part of city council, you know what? You've created the team that really we're, we're not solving world hunger. We're inspiring a nation. Yeah. Let me let me tell you a, a story about Don Talbot. So, you know, bless his soul. So Tom Don was in Thunder Bay, Ontario from 72 to 76. Thunder Bay is in the middle of nowhere in Ontario. Eight hours from Winnipeg and, I don't know, 14 hours from Toronto. Little old community. And in four years, basically, I think it was nine swimmers on the Olympic team in 76. And, um, you know, to go from there, I'm the CEO of Swimming Canada many, many years later. And um, I met the president of a university because I was working. I really felt the university is an important um, steps and platform for the swimmers. You know, if they could swim and experience this university experience in Canada or the U.S., um, you know, so so I was calling President University saying, you know, what can I do to help you put a pool at your school? <clears throat> so I met with this fellow at Durham College, which is in the suburb of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And we started talking and he's a little fellow. He was he was retired and was asked to take over that the presidency or and uh and I said, and he says he's from Thunder Bay. And I go, Oh, Thunder Bay. Like, do you know, do you know Don Talbot? He goes, Oh, he says, let me tell you about Don Talbot. <laughs> he said, Don created a belief in Thunder Bay in this small little community that anything could happen. Anything could happen out of Thunder Bay. And uh, and he says, So when I retired and I had a lot of money, I took Don. That was like in the in 2000s, he says, I took Don's vision of greatness in a small community and we built the best art center and amphitheater to host concert and classical music in the country. Mm. And it was all because of Don's vision of creating, of magic could happen anywhere. And so, you know, I, I believe that... Um, for young coaches, you know, be humble in the people that touch your environment. Um, yes, you know, be the first one there. Uh, welcome the kids. Uh, you know, have a lot of time to explain your vision to your team, but also to your board. Um, you know, when I took uh, Swimming Canada's job, uh, Mark Peters was running the CIS, and I went to see him. And, and I said, uh, what do you think? I love the a AIS. And. And, uh, you know, um, Michael Scott, too. And anyway, and, and uh, Mark Peter says there's two groups that you need to support. Your board of directors and the people you service. You could be incredible at people that you service. But if you don't service the board mm -hmm. or work with the board property, they're going to have your job. So the second step to me is, you know, you don't have to know budgets and how to write press release and and uh, and uh, you know long term plans if as a young coach, but you have to work with your president. Mm -hmm. And I would say that you have to clearly 
indicate that um, your job as a CEO is to work with the president. That's your relationship. And then the president works with the board. Not You can't go and work with the board everywhere. That's one. The other one is keep a line of um, relationship between the board members and the parents and you. I remember Mark Schubert, I was a young coach in Phoenix, and he said, I asked him a similar question. He goes, you know what? Parents, they want to meet you. They make an appointment. So he says, I always park in the back by the pump room so that I don't have to get them through the front lobby <laughs> and they don't grab me. And you know what? I've always felt that was really important. That was messages to my assistant coaches. You're not allowed to go for dinner at people's houses. Uh, you you work through me for the board. If the board calls you, you know, you got to say, you know what? Please uh, go call Pierre. Um, I, the lines of operation and clarity of roles and responsibility is crucial so that um, – um, so that when when things happen that are not good, I mean, at least it's not coming from everywhere, even if it will come from everywhere. At least you've got a, a president that you could work with. I, I basically speak to my president every week. When I was at Swimming Canada, I would speak to him every week. Right. Even if we didn't have board meetings, say, hey, what's up? What do you think? Or I'd go, you know, next couple of weeks we'll be doing this. And, uh, you know, do you see any red flags? Yeah, a really good advice there, man. I, I love that. And so much to learn and and so much uh you know so much knowledge you've got and I'm, I'm appreciative that you're passing some of this on now uh what, there's what, a there's a book um just for you to know there's a book written by brent rudermiller mm -hmm. who's now uh, who is who is we were working together at the at uh, the phoenix swim club who's now the chair of the hall of fame uh, in fort lauderdale still lives in phoenix and um great great guy he created a thing called the aquazoid that was in Swimming World magazine, those little characters in the bottom many, many years ago. But uh, he wrote a book called Below the Surface. Mm -hmm. It's an um, incredible uh, book on club development. And uh, it's it's uh, out of um, publication. But if uh, people write him at the Hall of Fame and say, hey, you know, can I get a copy? Where can I find a copy? Maybe on Amazon as a use. And, um, you know, I had a few books here. When I took over this club, I gave them to uh, – some of my coaches, you know, so yeah. Well, your book is the next one we'll be reading. So <laughs> <laughs> now listen, um, are you going to retire as a swim coach? Is this, is this, is this it for you? Like you're going to stand on this line for a while? Um, I've always, always wanted to finish in the role that I'm doing now as I going back to my roots, which is coaching uh, kids uh, I'm blessed to work at Carleton University with the varsity program. We're, we're rebuilding a varsity program. And I, the reason I'm, I'm saying I'm blessed is because I feel the varsity program is like the cherry on top of the cake for 99% of the swimmers. They had an incredible uh, age group career, and now they go to university. They've got built teams. Even if they don't make the Olympic Games, it's an incredible experience, and it adds on to their um, – University experience. So to me, um, you know, I don't know when I'm going to retire, but uh, I'm having fun. And uh, but I do think that it's going to be doing this. I, I still would think that um, I'd love to be. I still do a bit of work around the world for FINA with um, with countries and help them with strategic plan and so on and so forth. So I could be a bit like you in your in your role as mentor for uh, the swimming clinics. I've been doing that for the last three, four years here for FINA. And I. I enjoy that I, because basically coaches create environments. 
countries create the visions with their coaching staff. Yeah. You know, if I could help, uh, you know, very well, <laughs> you don't need a special pool and, uh, and a special backstroke flag to win Olympic medals. You need a pool. You need great coaches, a good environment. Magic happen anywhere. Small, small countries, big countries. Absolutely. We've seen that time and time again. We're going to see it again this year. In, in That's, a right. That's right. Uh, yeah, listen, appreciate your time, man. Good to catch up again. Nice to see you. And hopefully we can meet face-to-face sometime soon, right? Yeah, it'd be great. Just keep, you know, one thing that uh, it'd be really good for you to know and for anybody to know is that uh, July 25th is uh, World Drowning Prevention Day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you save a life, when you save one drowning, you save a life and you save a world. And so, you know, part of our role is also to try to entice uh, families and kids to learn to swim before the age of five and six. So, you know, that's our world, swimming. But our world is also getting kids um, and neighbors and so on to make sure that they, uh, you know, my, my neighbor, quickly, my neighbor had triplets. Mm. And uh, he built a big pool and they were five and six years old or four or five years old. And he, and he had put a fence around the pool, but not from his deck to the pool. And I said, uh, uh, Paul, if you don't put a fence, I'm going to drain your pool. Yeah. I said, it's not worth the danger and the loss. Could you imagine losing a child mm. to a preventable disease? Drowning is a preventable trauma. Mm-hmm. Teach kids how to swim. Yeah, I'm, I had Laurie Lawrence on on this show a few weeks ago. He was uh, he Do was the five. Yeah, saying the same stuff, man. It's so true. And I've been in a situation where I've seen a kid almost drown. It's a horrible, helpless. Uh, feeling and I wouldn't want anybody to experience that and so yeah thanks for bringing that up and certainly uh, raising awareness on that and well you know the, the whole point there is that um, you know only 10% of the kids that are in a drowning situation actually drown 90% get mentally affected for lack of oxygen yeah and it affects their whole life you know and their whole families yeah and so, you know, we started in Phoenix a, a platform called the Phoenix Drowning Coalition to mandate in, in the 90s when I was there to mandate every town in Phoenix, Mesa, Tempe, you know, Ahwatukee, that when, they, when you sell a house with a pool and the family's got young kids, you can't sell the house without a fenced-in pool. You have to build the pool before you can sell the house, build a fence before. And I think um, it's a very important um, Message. Totally agree. Totally agree. Offense is uh, is so necessary. You know, you, it happens in a blink of an eye, and you That's you right. won't even hear it. And um, so yeah, I will. I appreciate it. Listen, man, thanks a lot. Got to run, but uh, great. Good to see you. Take care, my friend. All right. Bye.